Growing up, one of my favorite movies, as a child, mind you, was Jurassic Park. Now, I may have mentioned this before, but as a very young child, too young probably to be watching Jurassic Park responsibly, uh, I very much enjoyed it. I would call it Soars, short for dinosaurs. I shortened it because I was young and because I was efficient like that. And the best part of the movie, for me, was always the finale. There was tension because the main characters, if you haven't seen it, spoilers, but the main characters were uh, trapped in the center of the park at this kind of museum locale. And there are all these raptors, these giant lizard monster, monsters, uh, chasing them down and they have them surrounded. And it looks basically like, uh-oh, our heroes are in for it. It's over, they're gonna get, they're gonna get et. Well, fortunately, out of nowhere comes the T-Rex swoops in and starts chomping down on these raptors and fighting them off, and our heroes have a chance to escape. Now, it's interesting, this specific phenomenon has a name. It's called Deus Ex Machina, which in the Latin, translated to English, means God from the machine or God out of the machine. And it goes back to Greek theater when there used to be uh, these elaborate plays that would involve a lot of drama and, and high stakes. But oftentimes, the writer of these plays, the playwright, didn't know how to solve some kind of impossible situation. So they'd always send in a god to figure it out. So there's a similar situation where there's, you know, it's, it's helpless, the, the battle's going to be lost to this other enemy, and then Zeus shows up, smites the enemy, and disappears. And the way they would show this is by descending um, or lowering uh, an actor dressed as Zeus or whatever god was being used. Uh, down from the ceiling using a bunch of machinery, usually pulleys and ropes. We have this god from the machine, this actor god from the machine. So basically, it's now known as this trope that whenever there's an impossible situation, it's always resolved with some goofy, last-minute, unexpected solution. In this case, a T-Rex. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a T-Rex, but we have a similar image here that we have the apostles in the first reading waiting, huddled in the upper room. They're there during the Feast of Passover, 50 days, or not during the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after the celebration of Passover when our Lord was put to death and then soon resurrected. And we have them worried, but they're hopeful. Now it's interesting, deus ex machina implies that it's unexpected, that all hope is lost. But this is different. They're waiting for the advocate, the advocate we hear promised in the gospel where our Lord says, I will send you an advocate, someone who will be with you always, who will advocate on your behalf. I may leave, but I leave so that I can send this advocate. So they're waiting, they're hopeful. And in reality, it's not so much Deus ex machina, God from the machine, but Deus ex Deus, God from God. They're waiting to receive this advocate. And you have this very intense uh, seen this very intense scenario where as they're waiting, out of nowhere you have this whirling wind to announce the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, bizarrely, you have these tongues of flame. These tongues of flame floating towards the apostles and resting upon them. And in this, they receive the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? Immediately, having received this gift of the Holy Spirit, they go out to proclaim that as they've received tongues of fire, their, their own tongues are set on fire as they need to go out. They can't hold it in. They must go out and proclaim, not share, not tell a story, uh, but actually proclaim what they have received from God. They proclaim the Lord to everyone gathered there. 
Now, because it was this big feast of Pentecost, you had many different uh, Jews, converts, those born into the faith, um, that they're all there from all over the world, different languages, different backgrounds. And miraculously, they all are able to understand what the apostles say. That there's this great unifying principle of the, of the Holy Spirit. That as we are scattered in the past, many different cultures, nations, many different viewpoints and worldviews, now we have this unity through the Holy Spirit present here amidst all these gathered under one proclamation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that day there were many, many conversions. We have this beauty of the Holy Spirit being given to the world, setting the world on fire, first and foremost with that small spark in that room, extending now through the centuries to where we are here, far away from Jerusalem, both um, in time from that point and also um, as a location here in Arizona, we have gathered here together as those possessing the Holy Spirit to celebrate this great feast, active and on fire with the faith. Unfortunately, sometimes I think we forget about the Holy Spirit, though. We remember him when he's brought up. We hear the Holy Spirit, but uh, oftentimes we kind of limit it to just God the Father, God the Son. Now, they all act together. That's the Trinitarian mystery, that three persons in one God. But we don't often call upon the Holy Spirit, I think, on a personal level. Of course, we think of God the Father, who loved us so much, created us out of love, and then sent his only Son to die for us. The Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who revealed that love in his sacrifice and brought us to a greater uh, existence as beloved sons and daughters of God. But then when we think of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes I think we just limit it to, oh, it's the bird, the bird one. Looks good on cards. We have it for confirmation. We have it for Pentecost. Tongues of fire, whatever, however you want to imagine that would look. Um, but it's so much greater than that. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. That we have the living Spirit of God dwelling within us. To think about that for a moment. That is what we are claiming. That is our inheritance. That is our heritage as beloved sons and daughters of God in faith. That when we are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what allows us to live a life of faith. Without the Holy Spirit, we are living a life, or a lifeless faith, a dead faith. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have the church. We would not have the sacraments. We have this great gift of uh, the Holy Spirit given to us at baptism, first and foremost, when we receive the Holy Spirit. Again, we have that image of the dove descending over our Lord as he has blessed the waters of baptism so when we receive baptism and newness of life, we also inherit that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, that allows us to live as Christians. The Holy Spirit is present at every aspect of prayer. Every time we pray to our Lord, every time we ask for his love and mercy, we see it at work uh, in uh, confession. When we are forgiven our sins, our sins are wiped away and we are given the grace to continue the struggle through any difficulties, frustrations, or temptations. We see it at confirmation when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we are, again, encouraged and strengthened in an adult's faith to further uh, grow and rely on those gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see it in uh, the vocational, uh, um, uh, the vocational um, sacraments of marriage and the priesthood. Uh, if you're ever having trouble with your marriage, you know, we're human beings, and there's those difficulties that we encounter we have the Holy Spirit to call upon. 
especially with any struggles, any arguments, any, uh, any kind of strife or frustration that may be present, to call upon the Holy Spirit to bring about a solution, to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you desire for us in our marriage? What is the Holy Spirit guiding us to, to allow for healing, for unity? That same unity we saw with the apostles and the great many who were visiting Jerusalem. We have with the Holy Spirit by which the, the priest is uh, transformed in persona Christi, not by his own grace or his own power, but by the power and grace of God through the Holy Spirit. We have this at the, uh, the, um, the uh, uh, anointing of the sick, where they are anointed and the Holy Spirit is called upon to bring healing and comfort to those who are sick or dying. And of course, we have it here as we celebrate the Mass, that you'll see me do what's called the epiclesis. You'll see my hands go down like this. I'm actually calling down the Holy Spirit to be able to transform the body or the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. We see how important the Holy Spirit is to us. We are called to invite the Holy Spirit into every aspect of our lives, to call upon it, as I say. Because, you know, we have this great gift, but um, we have to ask for it. We have to trust in the Lord, trust in his Holy Spirit, and especially ask, Lord, where is your Spirit guiding me? Where is the Holy Spirit calling me now? What do I need? And please help me to ask for that, to ask for those gifts that I need to, to live according to the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, the church fathers, the early theologians of the church, uh, had a, a special way of um, describing this event when the, the apostles received the Holy Spirit. They said it was like them receiving new wine, and they were uh, drunk on the Holy Spirit. They call it the sober intoxication of the Holy Spirit, which is a really awesome way of putting it. Now, when we're drunk in the flesh, when we drink, we become... Uh, um, we lose our inhibitions. We lose our ability to control and to know who we are. We surrender our, our freedom. We surrender our autonomy. And we lose ourselves in drunkenness, in worldliness. And, and, and as a result, we are wounded by that. But when we are drunk in the Holy Spirit, when we fully receive the Holy Spirit, allow us to be enveloped by the Holy Spirit, especially through the sacraments, through prayer, through calling upon the Holy Spirit, as those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we become drunk on the Holy Spirit and that we know exactly who we are. We know how we are directed. Those marks of sin are wiped away and we are emboldened and strengthened by the grace of God. But we are not only called to sit in that, that this is something that overflows, goes beyond us. We are finishing out this season of Easter and we're going back into ordinary time. And it can be an attitude that we take on where we think, well, business as usual, I'll just go back to the way things are. Kind of placid, chill, a thing really different. Easter's over. I'll wait for, for Advent for something exciting to happen. But no, like the apostles, we are called to go out. We are called to go out and proclaim that we do not hold this in, but we share it in every aspect of our lives, wherever that may be, in the home, at school, in the grocery store, at the gas station with strangers, with friends, with family, whoever we encounter, that we are called to share our faith, called to share that relationship we have and to proclaim and profess the gospel message and the joy of what we have received in faith. So that is my encouragement today as we celebrate our birthday, the birthday of the church. Of course, go get some ice cream maybe after Mass. Um, celebrate some way, maybe cake, whatever your dessert of choice is. And then also 
to ask the Holy Spirit, call upon the Holy Spirit to enter into your life, to heal anything that needs to be healed, to be strengthened in any struggles or difficulties, and to be assured of that great joy of God's love given to us in that beautiful form of the Holy Spirit dwelling within each and every one of us gathered here. Amen.